And now, it's time once again for the show that gives glorious voice to 25 million business owners across the fruited plain. Radio Free Enterprise with Frank Felker. Thank you, Dude Walker. Yes, indeed, I am Frank Felker. Welcome back to Radio Free Enterprise. My guest today is Dustin Zare. Dustin is the principal broker at Horizon Business Brokers in Woodbridge, Virginia. Dustin Zare, welcome to the program. Hi, Frank. Thanks for having me today. I'm glad that you're here, Dustin. We have a topic today that's very near and dear to my heart. Many frequent viewers and listeners of Radio Free Enterprise know that I seem to have a guest on, I don't know, once a month or so to come and talk to you about selling your business. My belief is that if you are not planning on selling your business and if you're not building towards getting a value as high as you possibly can for the sale of your business, you're making a huge mistake. You're, you're potentially leaving tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table. And for a successful business owner entrepreneur, that just doesn't make sense. Now, a while back, we had Roger Stevens here uh, to talk about how to maximize the value of your business when you sell it. More recently, we had Steve Kahn come and talk about the idea of selling your business to the public through an IPO or a SPAC or a reverse merger. Today, we're fortunate to have Dustin Zare here to talk about the actual process of selling your business. What's it like? He's been through the process many times with many business owners, different industries, different size companies, you name it. And I feel as though uh, maybe one of the reasons so few business owners don't choose to sell their business is fear of the unknown. They're not really clear what this process might be like, and I'm hoping that Dustin can bring some clarity to the topic for us. Dustin, before we get to that, I want to start with a very fundamental question, which is what exactly is a business broker? Yeah, Frank, so a business broker, to give you the, the easiest breakdown explanation is we're essentially like a realtor. Uh, we help people buy and sell businesses just like a realtor would help somebody buy and sell a home. We take the business owner uh, from the very beginning stages of the process all the way through the end and helping them understand how a business like theirs is valued, packaging, uh, the, the sale of the business, marketing and advertising the sale, finding the buyer, qualifying the buyer, uh, and negotiating, facilitating the sale to close. Uh, we do this pretty much the same thing for our buyers as well, uh, helping them understand really what their goals and expectations are, what they're trying to get out of the business, how much money they're trying to make to determine what their uh, budget and ultimate sale price of the business would be, uh, helping them find opportunities, uh, do their due diligence and negotiate and facilitate the sale to close just the same. That's great. That was a very complete and succinct answer, and I appreciate you making that so clear. Now, to help sort of uh, finalize putting a foundation under our conversation, can you give our viewers and listeners an idea of two or three businesses that you have been involved in the sale of, either on the buyer side or the seller side, and with an eye towards giving us a picture into the variety of businesses vertical industries, size of companies, and so forth. Sure. So generally speaking, we're working with your, your small businesses in the Main Street marketplace. 
Uh, the Main Street marketplace, depending on who you talk to, could range up to five to $10 million in annual revenue. Uh, most of the businesses that we typically work with are, are going to see revenues in the you know two to five hundred thousand dollar range. Our sweet spot's probably more in the five hundred to million dollar range in revenue. Uh, we are an industry agnostic firm, so I have worked with a variety of different businesses, uh, from construction services to uh, you. Uh, I'm sorry, construction services to your brick and mortar type of businesses that everybody is typically used to seeing in like retail shopping centers. So things like restaurants and hair salons, convenience stores, laundromats, uh, on the service end, you would find like cleaning service companies that could be residential, commercial. Uh, I like working with a lot of daycare centers it has seemed to be a, a hot industry uh, as well as pet service uh, related businesses. So we do kind of cover the gambit. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it. Pretty wide range. Um, and, you know, I wanted to uh, focus in on, I, I, when I say I want to focus in, I want to focus in on the emotional side of this transaction for a seller in particular. Uh, we may touch on the buyer side as well, but I'm more interested in speaking to people who currently own businesses and should be thinking about selling them. And I came across a couple of very interesting statistics. Now, these two statistics are from completely different sources, and they may be totally unrelated. Uh, but with full disclosure, I found a statistic on uh, Forbes.com that said about 700,000 businesses are founded in the United States every month. Now, that's, uh, you know, just people filing articles of incorporation getting a business license, what have you. Doesn't necessarily mean they ever got up and running or ever made dollar one. But at the same time, a website that I'm sure you're familiar with, it's called bizbysell.com, lists only about 7,000 businesses sold every year in the United States. That's a difference of about 99.9 to 0.01. Now, I find it hard to believe that it's that big of a discrepancy in terms of the percentage of businesses that are sold. But I'd be willing to bet that six or seven out of 10 that could have been sold were not sold. What is your take on the statistics I just shared? And why, if you do agree with them or find them plausible, why is it that you think so few business owners choose to sell their business? Yeah, so I appreciate you sharing the statistics. Uh, I, I know that there's a, a lot of businesses that uh, that certainly incorporate, but probably don't do much after they uh, after they they get their business license. Um, uh, what I can say is that I, I think that a lot of people start their business and they don't have an exit strategy in mind and. So when it comes to the point of where they're retiring or moving out of the area where they've established their business, uh, they they don't give it thought to to sell because they didn't have that that exit strategy. Uh, whether or not they had the policies and procedures in place uh, where they thought that they had a viable business to sell, or maybe it wasn't cash flow positive enough, um, or maybe they just thought that that they were the business and. Uh, that wouldn't translate much into value. Uh, so that's why you know I believe that it's important that when you start your business, 
that you have an exit strategy in mind, whether that's three, five, 10, 15 years down the road. So you can ultimately get the value out of the business that you've created and establishing it and growing it over the years. I agree completely with you. And uh, the way I put it is start with the end in mind. Um, part of this is, uh, are you familiar with a book called The E-Myth? I've not read it, no. It's, a, it's sort of a classic in business literature. And the E-Myth is, the E is for entrepreneur. And the myth is that all business owners are entrepreneurs. And the point that the, the author makes is that Gerber, Michael Gerber is his name, is that most business owners have the mindset that you just described. They see the business and themselves as the same thing. They don't plan for the future or even think about the idea of selling a business. And they may well, I use the expression, I'm from a background in the printing industry, of a successful printing press operator who makes some good money and decides to uh, open his own print shop, who suddenly finds out that running a print shop is a completely different job from running a printing press. Um, and so, but a true entrepreneur would look at this from the standpoint of, this is my current opportunity that I'm pursuing, but the world is full of opportunities. And if I look at it that way, I may be able to leverage what I've invested in time and sweat and trouble into this business, into a big payday in the future. And this is, I'm, I'm preaching to our viewers right now that I really want them to be thinking about that. And if you don't do that, that you're leaving money on the table. Now, I, I agree with what you just said, and, but I still think there's something deeper, and it may even be unspoken within the mind or the heart of a business owner regarding the sale of a business or their business. And one of those things I wonder is, do they think it's going to be really difficult? Um, what is the most difficult part, would you say, for the seller of a business? I think the most difficult part is, is their emotional tie uh, to the business and realizing that the value might not necessarily have been what they were hoping to get out of the business. So to, to then let go uh, and say, you know what, Th this is what my business is worth. So, you know, if I want to move on to the next chapter of my life, you know, I should take it and, and, and move on. Uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, business owners are coming to us to, you know, start the process. And the very first thing is reviewing their financials and determining the value. And, you know, for example, you might say, hey, you know, Mr. You know, Mr. Mrs. Business Owner, uh, you know, based on the cash flow that the business is generating for you, you know, it's worth, you know, let's say $500,000. And, you know, they think, well, oh, man, I, I, I thought my, my business was worth a million dollars. I can't sell for, for half a million. Uh, <laughs> and then it's just getting them to understand, well, well what buyers are interested in primarily is the cash flow that it generates. So th there needs to be enough cash flow there to support the debt service from the acquisition, pay themselves a fair wage, and hopefully have money left over to reinvest. Uh, so if the numbers add up, they'll, they'll get their million dollars. But if they don't add up, then they're going to get what the market you know, suggests the value to be. So it's that emotional tie, the blood, sweat, and tears that they've put into the business uh, that, that they need to understand, hey, well, I, I did build something, so let me get the most value that I can. And that makes perfect sense. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the uh, they thought it was worth a million, but it was only worth 500000 Uh I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard business owners say, 
well, I want to walk away with a million dollars. And, you know, it's just sort of a round number that they, that's what they want. It doesn't have any connection to what the business might sell for. And, uh, you know, and another way of looking at it is if you could, and even $500,000 is a pretty good payday. Uh, if you could walk away with 500000 that would be great. Or, or even 100000 provided that you hadn't even been considering selling the business previously. But I agree with you, and I think you're right. I think it's the, the blood, sweat, and tears and, the, and what they've invested in the business uh, and this sort of dream of what they have that it might be worth. Now, you also mentioned, uh, you've mentioned a couple of times having to do with the policies and procedures in place. If, you, if a buyer, a business buyer, decided to buy a brand new McDonald's franchise, for example, and not an existing Victor's Pizza Palace, uh, they would, one of the things they'd be paying for, and one of the biggest things, is the operations manual. Here's everything you do from the moment you turn on the lights to the moment you lock the door and walk away in the evening. How important is it for the sale of a business, for the value of a business at sale, to have a document like that in place? I think it's very important, especially for your, your larger size businesses. Uh, and when I say larger size businesses, uh, I'm really specifically talking about businesses that are that are at the upper echelon of that main street marketplace, you know, the ones that are generating five to $10 million in revenue or, or, or maybe just short of that. But uh, when a buyer is spending, say, you know, a million dollars or more on the business, they're expecting a lot more from that business. So the, the, the operating, you know, manual. Uh, so, so they don't have to come in and, and kind of reinvent the wheel that they know that when they, come and purchase the business the next day, they can operate it as smoothly and as efficiently as, as the seller did uh, and make sure that they can train all of, of their, empl their employees so they don't miss a beat. Uh, for your, your smaller businesses that, uh, you know, I would say are in the, you know, a couple hundred thousand hour price range or less that have fewer employees the, an operating manual or policies and procedures aren't as important to, to buyers, though I'm sure they would love to see them. That's interesting. One of the things that uh, I think can help a seller of a business separate themselves from the business is an operations manual, where it means that the business doesn't require their personal presence all day, every day, in order to operate efficiently and profitably. And uh, but I can see what you mean. If it's you know they're doing two hundred thousand dollars a year and got two or three employees and one or more of which is part time, it's not as critical. But uh, I do see what you're saying with that. Now, uh, what about how long this process might take? Let's say uh, somebody decides today's the day I'm going to start selling my business. When they come to you, what how how does the process work? What happens first? What happens next? How long does the whole thing take? So generally speaking, you know, the national average length of time to sell a business is typically around eight to 12 months. Uh, Horizon's average has historically been around five to seven months. Uh, we credit our shorter time frame based on our very thorough and detailed uh, valuation approach and the amount of marketing and advertising that we do. And we feel like we've really streamlined the process. Uh, but the very first step that uh, that is taken is is a review 
of the past three years of the business's financials. Uh, so we would be looking at uh, P&Ls, balance sheets, and tax returns, uh, as well as some uh, some year-to-date financials, depending on where you are in, in the calendar year, just to see how the business is performing uh, you know, this year over the last year. Is it in an uptrend? Is it in a downtrend? Has it been flat? Uh, you know, these are all important factors that a buyer and a lender are going to look at when uh, evaluating uh, the value of the business uh, and their interest in purchasing and financing the opportunity. Um, from there, you know, after you know, we review the financials, determine what the financial health and performance of the business is to see the cash flow, that's what drives the value of the business. So you're reviewing financials to determine the value to, to set up our, our asking price. Uh, from there, we're going to uh, market and advertise the sale uh, very confidentially on major business for sale platforms, as well as you know, an outreach to other you know, business brokers and financial advisors uh, that we have relationships with. Uh, at that point, we're then you know, uh, attracting these buyers, we're having them complete uh, what we call our buyer's package, which is the confidentiality agreement, uh, a brief questionnaire and a financial overview. Uh, so we can share you know, the name, the location and detailed financial information about the opportunity. Uh, from there, you'll have you know, buyer-seller meetings so uh, they can interact and engage with each other. They can see if uh, you know, the, the buyer's a good fit for the business, uh, make sure uh, we can answer any you know, financial or operational questions that the, the buyer has of, of the business and the seller, uh, again, to see if it's a good fit and see if there's any red flags that, uh, that are presented. Uh, at that point, uh, you sh- we should be able to then field an offer uh, from the buyer to present to the seller. And uh, then once that's accepted, you know, we would enter into uh, what we would call you know, the due diligence phase of the, uh, of the acquisition. Uh, where the buyer is reviewing in, in more depth the, the financials. Uh, so that would be uh, taking a closer look at the P&Ls and the balance sheets to compare against uh, the bank statements and invoicing, as well as you know, any, uh, any vendor payments and such that are being paid, payroll, et cetera. Uh, taking a look at the, the operational health uh, as much as the financial health. Uh, maybe getting uh, landlord approval if there's uh, a lease that the business operates from, uh, and of course, you know, obtaining any necessary funding from a lender. Uh, at that point, you should be wrapping up your due diligence and moving into the closing phase uh, and, and getting all the the legal paperwork finalized and uh, and moving forward to uh, to that closing date. That that pretty much wraps you up in a nutshell. <laughs> That was great. Did a great job of rapidly going through every one of those steps. And I really appreciate that because that's what, in my opinion, is one of the biggest reasons why many business owners don't enter into the process because they don't really know. They know the first step they're taking, perhaps, but they don't really understand what the rest of the staircase looks like. And I appreciate you sharing all of that. Now, what kind of payment terms are usually found in these types of deals? Again, your business owner who was looking for a million dollars, they're looking for a check, check for a million dollars. And that's another area where I know a lot of business owners get upset was, wait a minute, it's not an all cash deal. I didn't know that. What kind of terms, what kind of payment terms are typical, uh, Dustin? Sure. So, you know, and in, in being involved in the mainstream marketplace for over 15 years, you know, we've, we've seen 
all of those sellers that want, you know, their million dollars up front and, you know, we'd love to give it to them all the time, but generally speaking, <laughs> There, there is some sort of um, some sort of financing that's involved, right? So, uh, you know, there are those sellers that get lucky and they get 100% of their their cash proceeds at closing, uh, you know, from from a bank that might be involved, or maybe there's a well capitalized buyer. Um, in in most cases, you know, some some small business transactions wouldn't actually happen without some element of seller financing. So that means the seller is getting some cash. Uh, you know, I like to see at least fifty percent come from from the buyer, so there's a uh, an equal invested interest uh, and, and skin in the game by both parties. Um, <laughs> so maybe the seller is going to finance fifty percent of that million dollar purchase price, so they're getting a half a million dollars down, and the other half a million dollars they might finance over you know maybe a five or ten year period. Uh, they would get, you know, a, a favorable interest rate. What you might see, you know, a bank uh, provide for uh, your typical, um, you know, business acquisition funding. So probably somewhere around five, six percent plus or minus. Um, again, five to ten years. Uh, you know, even when there is bank financing involved, or you have a well-capitalized buyer, uh, the the buyer still might want to see the seller, you know, have some skin in the game. So. I, I often see, you know, most sellers still hold somewhere around 20% of, of the sale price. And and that would be personally guaranteed, uh, you know, by the buyer uh, mm-hmm. against also secured against assets of the business and, and other assets of, of the borrower as well, in case there is a default. How about something that's referred to as an earn out? Uh, and my understanding with that is that the seller, the original owner of the business stays on either in a management capacity or an advisory capacity for a fixed number of months in order to ensure that the smooth transition of the business. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So earnouts are a, another very common way to acquire a business and for the business to be, I guess, financed, if you will. Um, They're more common in your larger transactions, in my opinion, uh, you know, again, those in the, you know, the upper main streets or lower middle market marketplace, um, you know, a lot of small business owners in, in kind of that, that real main street marketplace, they're, they're not usually too keen on, on an earnout. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for whatever reason that may be most importantly, uh, I find the, the reason to be, because if, if they turn over the business to a buyer and the buyer you know doesn't you know take control of the policies and procedures that 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 were outlined and you know maybe they have just a different way of, of operating the business mm-hmm. uh, that could be a detriment to to the seller uh, you know they might you know come in and, and raise prices uh, on their customers and that could cause you know a, a very uh, high attrition rate. Uh, so that is essentially going to devalue the business, uh, you know, uh, for the seller in the long run. Uh, so, but to your point, you know, if, if the seller, you know, does stay on in some sort of, you know, employee or consultancy capacity, you know, it could help the, the buyer, you know, retain their customers, uh, and, and the, and the seller could, could get every penny that they were expecting and, and perhaps more. Uh, 
Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's my advice and what I've seen in, in the 15 plus years of doing business is, you know, try to try to keep it simple. Right. And yeah. uh, and, and just, you know, if, if you get an all cash deal or maybe you're just going to hold some seller financing. So it's a guaranteed amount of money and there's very limited downside for you know, for the seller. But I, I have had a couple of earnouts and and they did work out you know, very well for, for the seller in the end. So. Well, this is a good segue into my next question, which is, uh, you know, not every deal goes as smoothly as we hope over time. Uh, and occasionally the buyer doesn't do a good job of operating the business and maybe they stop making their payments on the seller financing and so forth. What are the, uh, the uh, seller's options in a situation like that? Yeah, so if a buyer defaults on any sort of, you know, uh, personally guaranteed, uh, you know, note, there's usually provisions in the purchase agreement or the promissory note that basically says after default, if if the default hasn't been cured, uh, then the seller could essentially take the business back over, uh, just like a bank you know, would repossess a, a car or foreclose on a house. Uh, so the the seller would have that that ability and opportunity. Uh, in fact, they they even might be forced to. Uh, in some cases, if if the the business is operating from a brick and mortar location and they have a landlord, because the uh, the seller might still be on the hook for for the lease if there was a a lease assignment uh, that was taking place. Uh, from you know in the in the acquisition the the seller still you know ha- has an obligation to the landlord so uh, mm-hmm. they would step back in take the business back over operate it to fulfill their their obligation to to the landlord um, you know then then of course there's the other you know scenarios where you know with the personal guarantees the the seller could essentially go after the the buyers and try to obtain you know what uh, what remaining balances do uh, through the legal process. Okay. And of course, we all want to avoid that, but I wanted to address it because, again, that could be something in the back of the mind of a prospective seller about why they're avoiding this process. Now, my next question has to do with working with a business broker as opposed to trying to sell your business on your own. I would imagine, and we just talked about this, that one of the biggest benefits that you bring to bear is the vetting of the buyers and the qualification of the buyers and helping to determine uh, whether they are qualified for a purchase of this size. Just like in real estate, you know, we could go FISBO for sale by owner, or we could choose to work with a real estate broker who's going to charge us a commission. Why should we choose to work with a business broker when we're choosing to sell our business? Great question. And, you know, my opinion is that, you know, if a business owner is trying to sell their business, that it could se- severely and dramatically impact the overall value of their business. And the reason why is because they're going to be so distracted in trying to work with all these different buyers that are expressing interest in, in the opportunity and trying to get them through the process that they forget about what's the most important. And, and that is operating their business. Uh, I have seen it firsthand where a, a client of mine who actually owned a, uh, a printing company in, mm. in McLean, and he tried to sell his business for 
over a year. And during that year, his his revenue fell and his cash flow fell. Uh, it must have been about 15 or 20 percent. Uh, he engaged our services and was able to refocus on operating the business, you know, get his, his revenue and cash flow back up. Um, so, so there's that most important element. Then it's the, the fact that you know, if they try to go at this alone, they, they don't really know the true value of their business. They're most likely just coming up with, with some number that, that they felt like it was worth. And were they able to justify that? Um, maybe they're, they're asking too much and then they don't get any buyer interest. Maybe they're asking uh, not enough and they're getting a lot of buyer interest and then they're leaving money on the table for themselves. Um, so, you know, if they engage a professional brokerage firm to, to help them, they can focus on what's important. They can make sure that they get the most value out of their business and they have all the resources that the broker has in trying to help the buyer uh, obtain the funding that they need. Uh, you know, they have the professional relationships uh, with the, the accountants and the attorneys and other advisors that might be needed to go through the process uh, to help both sides be able to come to, uh, you know, a, a deal a lot quicker and a lot sooner. Or, well, quicker and sooner would be the same thing. So, maybe, <laughs> well, sure, I would yeah. like it to be both quicker and sooner. Thank you. <laughs> so. Now, uh, that begs the question. There's a lot of value there, obviously, in bringing in a business broker. What's it going to cost me? Yeah. So, the average brokerage firm is going to charge a commission of somewhere between 10 and 15% of the overall sale price of the business or a flat fee of ten to $15,000, whichever is greater. Uh, mm-hmm. As you start to get into the multi-million dollar uh, you know, price range, you might see different variations of, of a commission, uh, you know, perhaps something like a double layman's formula where you know, maybe the first million you pay 10%, then the second million you pay 8%, and nice. the third million you pay 6%, and so on. Um, so you know, just like anything, a part of a business transaction, you know, a commission can be a negotiable. Uh, depending on the size and uh, of the opportunity and, of course, the seller's expectations. Okay. I want to make a little bit of a left turn here and talk about the difference between purchasing an existing franchised business versus purchasing an existing independent business. If I were uh, from the buyer side, you know, let me flip that around because I want to stick with the seller side. If I'm the business owner of a franchise business, do I face greater hurdles and less flexibility of choice in selling my business than I might have if I were the owner of an independent business? Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, when you have a third party involved, like a franchisor, uh, the franchisor is, is another step, another layer in the, in, in the process. Uh, the franchisor is ultimately going to have the say uh, as to whether or not you're maybe perhaps going to have the ability to sell your business, but who you're going to be able to sell your business to. Uh, so they're going to they're gonna qualify the buyer uh, you know, just the same, make sure that they have the professional experience uh, to be a good operator, make sure they have the financial ability to uh, to acquire the business and have enough capital to sustain the business. Uh, so, you know, if you're an independent, you know, business owner and you're looking to sell, you know, the business that you've established, 
you don't have this this third party that's you know over your shoulder saying, hey, you know what? Uh, we're sorry, we don't we don't like this buyer's qualifications. They're they're not gonna they're not a good fit for for us as a franchisor uh, and to purchase your business. So definitely a lot more flexibility when it comes to an independent operation uh, as to who your buyer can be. That's what I thought, but I wasn't sure, and I'm glad that you you knew and were able to clear that up. Um, one last point about franchise purchasing a franchise business: Does the franchisor extract any upfront money from the new owner? Or did they, is the new owner only on the hook for the ongoing franchise fees? Great question. So I, I've seen it actually go both ways uh, in, in transactions with franchise uh, opportunities. Uh, typically speaking, the the buyer would have some upfront franchise fees as well, just like the the seller of that franchise. Uh, so when the the seller of that franchise started they likely paid you know an upfront franchise fee uh, to get a, to get established to, to protect their territory have the rights to the brand uh, and go through training uh, so for example you know that franchise fee might be 30 40 50 plus thousand dollars now with a, a, a franchise acquisition the they call it a franchise transfer fee, which is typically significantly less than the the upfront fee uh, that the original owner or seller has paid. Uh, but I have seen it where the the fee is the exact same. Uh, so they're paying again to, to their rights to the territory or the franchise brand and the uh, and the training that goes along with it. So that's money that the buyer is going to have to pay that could have gone in the pocket of the seller had they been the operator of an independent business rather than a franchise business. So, yeah, I'm glad that uh, we brought that up. Now, we've, uh, we're have we just about out of time, Dustin. We've covered a lot of territory. I always like to ask, is there a question I have not asked you or something that's come to mind that you'd like to share before we sign off? Yeah, I think we covered a lot. I think we've uh, provided a lot of great information for your audience. I, I hope uh you know, it was helpful to them. Uh, I'm trying to sit here and think if there's anything else that, that was missed uh, or, you know, that could be, uh, you know, addressed. Uh, well, let me ask I you one it. more question. Uh, were you ready? Did uh, you had something for us there? Yeah, yeah, no. I, uh, and I'm happy to answer your other question um, as well. I, I guess the, the other thing that I was thinking of was, you know, I guess how a business is valued, you know, to determine, you know, the price and what a buyer is really expecting to pay for that. And I know we, we briefly touched on it, you know, earlier. No, that's, that's a big point. And uh, I specifically uh, sort of glossed over it. Uh, we had spoken to another guest previously about it, but I would like to get your take on it nonetheless. Let me, um, let me give you a, a couple of rules of thumb of valuation. You know, the first one is my business is worth a million dollars and I'm going to get a check all up front. That one's not so good, but it is one that a lot of business owners use. Another one is one times last year's revenue or three times last year's profits. Now, again, those two could have as much value as the first one I spoke of. Do you know of any rules of thumb or any guidelines you can give us how we might do a quick back of the napkin uh, calculation of what our business is worth? Yeah. So, you know, those are two different approaches that I hear 
so often. And, you know, it's not that they're wrong, but they're not necessarily right. Okay. Um, Each industry actually has different valuation practices and they could be based on a multiple of earnings or cash flow. Uh, They could be based on a percentage of revenue. Um, I I would say most common in the, the main street marketplace, you're going to see buyers, pay what's equivalent to about two times the seller's discretionary earnings or cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that truly is the, the, the average, but I've seen businesses sell for as little as one times cash flow. And I've seen businesses sell for you know three plus times cash flow. Again, it, it, it's very dependent on the industry because you can have businesses that, uh, that are service related that have, uh, that are, are very capital rich. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, furniture, fixtures and equipment. Uh, maybe they have service contracts. So there's guaranteed revenue uh, that, that will be made over you know, a certain period of time. And those businesses uh, are going to sell for a higher multiple because it's, it's pretty much all but guaranteed revenue and cash flow performance that the buyer is going to have. Um, and then again, if you have businesses that you know, are generating, you know, uh, let's say a half a million to a million plus dollars in, in cash flow or EBITDA, those businesses are going to sell for a premium. So you're going to see, you know, three plus times cash flow and those opportunities where, you know, the sole owner operator that uh, the business is so dependent on them, you know, even though they might be making a hundred thousand dollars a year in profit, you know, because they are the business, that type of business is only going to be worth maybe one to one and a half times cash flow. Um, I find the cash flow values uh, to be more accurate and more commonly accepted you know, by buyers and lenders because that's what they're lending against. Uh, while revenue is important and there's those metrics that are in place, you know, 100% of revenue or 50% of revenue, whatever the case may be, uh, they usually don't hold, hold up as, as much as the cash flow values uh, that, the, that the, the banks uh, and the buyers are looking at. So would it be fair to say that uh, the extent to which the seller, prior to choosing to sell their business or pulling the trigger on selling it, the extent to which they've been able to grow their personal income over time and show a track record of growing earnings over time, and the extent to which they're able to remove themselves from the day-to-day operations of the business so that the money they're earning is, in effect, as an entrepreneur rather than as a manager or somebody making sandwiches on the front line or what have you, that those two things are things that they could be doing now or aspiring to be doing to increase the value of the sale later. 100%. I, I don't even have anything to add to that. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> okay. And that's part of what I want people to be thinking about as well. It's like you said early on in this conversation is they should have been thinking about this from the beginning. But even if you weren't thinking about it from the beginning, it's like the old thing about the uh, best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the next best time is right now. So you should start planting that tree, thinking about the sale of your company. If you want a million dollars, how are you going to get a million dollars? And uh, and speaking with somebody like yourself, Dustin, to find out where they are now, where they need to get to get to the, the money, that, that check they're looking for, and what they can do between here and there to make that happen. And with that in mind, what is the best way for somebody who's been watching or listening to reach out to you and uh, and ask you a few questions? Yeah, thanks, Frank. Yeah, happy to, to talk to anybody. Please visit our website, 
uh, horizonbrokers.com. Uh, you can go to our contact page. My contact information is right there. My cell phone number, uh, 571-437-5135. You can also email me directly, Dustin at horizonbrokers.com. I welcome anybody to call. I give you all the time in the world that you need uh, and, and help you through the process the best that we can. Dustin Sayer, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks, Thanks again me. to Dustin. And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Frank Felker saying, I'll see you on the radio. He's the kind of guy who finds microeconomics fascinating. Uh, but go ahead and listen anyway. Radio Free Enterprise with Frank Felker.